Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Summer is the time of year when we all take a vacation. Some of you like going to the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Others of you have your old standbys that you visit every year. And some of you like taking a vacation and going to places that you've never been. And that's what we're gonna do through our series Vacation. We are going to take you to places where most of you have never been before. Each week, we're gonna travel to some of the legendary places in the world and hear some stories that change the course of history. So pack your bags, it's time for a vacation. Today, we are traveling to the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is one of the most familiar bodies of water in the Bible, especially when you read the Gospels, as many of the events in the earthly life of Jesus took place in the surrounding areas of the sea. Now, by definition, the Sea of Galilee is actually not a sea, it's a lake. That's why on some maps you can see it called Lake Tiberias or Lake Kinneret. It's just called a sea because of tradition. The Sea of Galilee is approximately 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide at its broadest point. And at 209 meters below sea level, it's the lowest freshwater lake on Earth and the second lowest lake in the world after the Dead Sea, which is the saltwater lake. This vast freshwater expanse is located about 60 miles north of Jerusalem and the Jordan River flows out of the south end of the sea and continues downhill until it ends up in the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea are all part of the Jordan Rift Valley, which forms one of the longest and deepest cracks in the Earth's crust. As I was saying, many momentous events in the life of Jesus took place in the surrounding areas of the Sea of Galilee, including the calling of several of his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John all worked as fishermen. They all learned their living on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus approached them and he asked them to leave everything and follow him. Jesus did the same for Matthew who was a tax collector from the town of Capernaum on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus taught crowds by the sea. He even preached while standing in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, Jesus delivered his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, while standing on the shores of the sea near Capernaum. His miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was performed by this sea. And it was also the place that Jesus appeared to seven of his disciples after his resurrection. It was there that he performed his final miracle. After a night of, of fishing, the disciples were coming in and they were unsuccessful when Jesus called out to them and he said, lower your nets, drop your nets one more time, and they were instantly filled with fish. Now, many theologians believe that Jesus had specifically targeted this area to minister and perform miraculous healings because of the significant number of sick people who sought out the Sea of Galilee's restorative climate and also the medicinal springs that were nearby Tiberias. Due the, to the geological features on either side of the Sea of Galilee, sudden storms would, would pop up at any time 
And it was in the midst of one of these storms that Jesus showed his disciples his power and his authority over the winds and the waves. And today we are going to look at a story of one of Jesus' most spectacular miracles in the Gospels. This story of what Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm is the perfect example to show us how to turn our fear into faith. So sit back and relax as we head to the Sea of Galilee. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Hope you are excited to be here today. My name is Logan. Uh, if you do not know who I am, hello. I am uh, the student pastor here at the Met Church. Um, just a little bit about me. Um, I've been at the Met now almost six years, which is a surprisingly long time, actually. Uh, and so I've been here six years. And then actually, me and my wife, Katie, we have been married uh, five years. We'll be married five years tomorrow. Tomorrow's our anniversary. So that's really exciting. Oh, thanks, guys. You guys are so nice. Yeah, so tomorrow's our anniversary, which is pretty exciting. Um, we have uh, one daughter. Her name is Dakota. She'll be two years uh, old in October. Um, and so we make a, a fun little family right now full of energy, uh, limitless energy. By limitless energy, most of it comes from one person who I'm sure you can figure out. Anyway, since we're in our vacation series, I figured we would dive in and into what uh, my family likes to do for vacation. Because I'll admit, it's a little unique. Uh, don't get me wrong, we, we love the beach, uh, we love like amusement parks, you know, all your typical stereotypical uh, vacation stuff. We love all that. Um, but our, our favorite thing to do for vacation, genuinely, is we like to go camping. We like to go camping usually out in the mountains, and we like to go rock climbing. We love to do that. that, that by we, I mostly mean me, and then my wife just loves me enough or is crazy enough to let me do it. Uh, but, but she loves the outdoors too. Like she just likes to be outside. And it's so funny, uh, our little girl, Dakota, man, she loves to be outside. When she was a little girl, she learned really four words pretty quick. No, it's pretty normal. Yes, more for more food. She was always hungry. And then outside, she would say outside, outside all the time, all the time. Man, we had to avoid that word like the plague or else she wouldn't let us come inside into the air conditioning like normal people. Uh, but anyway, so she, she loved it. Man, that's just what we love to do. And honestly, I think it's probably because my family, we just love a good adventure. We just do. And speaking of adventures, we've actually got another one headed to us this December. We got baby number two headed our way, which is super exciting. Oh, wow, man, I'm off to a good start. I got two, sweet. No, it's so funny. Uh, just the other day, we were at a restaurant last night with my parents, and Dakota is being a two-year-old. She's just losing it. And I was like, you know what? This makes me want two. <laughs> no, I, was just, I don't know why. I just had that thought. It just made me chuckle. Anyway, uh, really, when it comes down to, to just parenthood, uh, really marriage, life as a whole, I mean, really, if I had to summarize it, it's just unpredictable. I mean, no matter where you cut it, it is unpredictable. It's so funny. Um, every time I think of that word, I'm reminded of whenever me and Katie first got married, because good grief, you want to talk about unpredictable things I didn't see coming? I mean, goodness, I was not ready for marriage. We, we were very young, and uh, thankfully we made it. <laughs> we're still doing good. But I remember when we first got married, it, it, was, it was hilarious. Um, I didn't realize how many wrong ways there were to do the dishes. I had no idea. Thankfully, I've learned a few, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm still short on a few. Or, or another story that always popped in my mind as far as unpredictable. I remember, I think we've been married about two years, and uh, my phone is just blowing up in a meeting, and it's Katie, and I'm like, Katie, what, what's going on? She's like, our power's out. And I was like, uh-oh. I was like, is everyone else's power out? She's like, nope, just ours. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, and, or, and she goes, did you pay the electric bill? I said, of course I did, honey. Why would I not pay the electric bill? That's ridiculous. 
So later on, the day goes on. I get home, and we're both home, and, and she's like, are you sure you paid the electric? I said, yes, honey, I promise. I pull up my phone. I go, here's all the email receipts. I show them to her. She grabs my phone. She looks at it not longer than five seconds and looks right back at me and goes, Logan, those aren't email receipts. Those are requests for payments. You're like six months late. And I was like, whoops. Uh, so ever since then, uh, she has handled that part because uh, I proved just how horrendously incompetent I can be with things like that. But anyway, man, we, we are, uh, I know that uh, unpredictable things is not unique just to our life. I mean, good grief. Do I even need to go into the last year? For crying out loud, global pandemic. Didn't see that one coming. Um, Texas, hottest state in the entire like North continent, feels like, froze over. I mean, how many of us had a pipe burst? Any pipe burst, any uh, hail damage? Anyone have hail damage on their car? There you go. Uh, anyone lose water or lose heat? Yeah, crazy, right? We have had nothing but unpredictable things. And fortunately, our story today is all about the unpredictable. It's all about things that we don't see coming. In fact, it's actually about a storm. Uh, in fact, I chuckled to myself. I said, as I was prepping for this, I was like, how ironic that's the year uh, I, I pick a storm to talk about is the year that Texas acts like a raging hormonal teenager mad at mom and dad. I'm just like, golly, it's, it's kind of ironic. Uh, and I chuckle. But before we dive into our story, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to make an assumption. And my assumption is this. Every single person in this room is currently in a storm. You may have heard Pastor Bill say, everyone's either going in, currently in, or leaving a storm. I'm going to take that a step further based upon the year we've had, and I'm going to assume that every single person in this room has some type of storm, whether that be work, whether that be some residual effect from COVID, whether that be some mental battle, whether it be family. God love them, they're family, right? I'm willing to bet every single person in this room has some type of storm. So here's what I would like to ask you to do. I want you to right now think of what your storm is. Whatever it is, whatever is most prevalent in your mind, whatever absorbs the most focused time or emotional energy of you, that is a difficult trying time. Think of that right now and keep that in your mind as we walk through this story, because the story is gonna give us a map, an outline, a battle plan, if you will, to help us get through any storm that we encounter. Got it? All right. Here we go. We're going to dive into the story. Um, our story is actually recorded in three different books, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. All three of those books record our story. And so you're going to see me kind of bounce around to really get the full context of the story. Uh, but actually, before I get to the story I'm going to talk about today, um, I want to talk about the story that happens before. And that is one of Jesus' most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. If you're not familiar with the story, let me fill in the blanks. Jesus is teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it goes later in the evening, and there's 5,000 people, what the Bible tells us, which actually, fun fact, was closer to 15,000. Back in those days, they only counted men, and so if you include men and women, it's closer to 15,000. So all these people are here, and the disciples walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, it's getting late. We've got to feed these people. And Jesus goes, okay, you feed them. They go, ha no, seriously, how are we going to feed these people? And he goes, all right, bring what you got. So the disciples look and they find a boy. He's got two fish, five loaves. Jesus takes it, typical God-like provision fashion. He breaks the bread, blesses it, and they begin to hand it out. And before you know it, everyone has received food. Not only have they gotten food, they've eaten enough to be satisfied. And there's actually 12 baskets left over. 
It's one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus ever performs. However, ironically, that's actually not our focus today. Our focus today is what happens immediately after this miracle. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I want to pause here for a very intentional reason. Like Rob alluded to in that video just a moment ago, the Sea of Galilee was notorious for sudden climate changes and so sudden storms, with it being uh, the lowest uh, sea, if you will, around. It would constantly have storms pop up, storms pop up. And so the disciples uh, were um, fishermen by trade. They, they did it all the time. This was far from their first journey across the Sea of Galilee. So as they're doing it, if you read on, the Bible tells us that all of a sudden a storm or basically a strong wind comes against them. And before you know it, the disciples are forced to put their head down and to row as hard as they possibly can. And interestingly enough, in the same amount of time it would normally take them to cross the Sea of Galilee, they've only made it halfway, even though they're working incredibly hard. Did the disciples do anything wrong? Nope. Are they unintentionally or going on their own to rebel against Jesus? No. In fact, Jesus is the one who told them to do this. Yet, despite the fact that they are doing their best to obey Jesus, they have met a storm and they're not making any progress. I bring that up because I think if we're honest, many of us, pun intended, are in the same boat. Maybe you're in this room and you would say, you're in a storm. You've been working extremely hard, rowing as hard as you possibly can. Not necessarily mad at God, not trying to rebel against God, just trying to do the next right thing. And yet, despite all your effort, it seems like you're barely making any progress. Let's pick up in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I've always been uh, puzzled by that, baffled, befuddled. Um, and it's always surprised me. Really? Th that's the miracle that causes your brain to just completely unravel. That one? Think about this. You literally have the 12 baskets of leftover food from one of Jesus' most incredible miracles of all time, but yet you see him walk across the lake and that blows your mind? Here's my hypothesis. I think Jesus walking on water was outside of the disciples' expectations. Here's what I mean. I think the disciples fell prey to an extremely human characteristic. And that is to take things that we don't understand and put them inside a box to try and understand it. And so I think the disciples had created this box and miracles were in it, don't get me wrong, but not walking on water. And so because it was so far outside of their expectations, it scared them. But take a look at what Jesus says. But he, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. This takes me to my first point today. 
When you're in a storm, the very first thing you must do is you have got to find Jesus. You've got to. And what I mean by that is not finding what you think Jesus would do. Not finding what you expect Jesus to do. Because if we're not careful, and if that's the route we take, you're going to find yourself rowing against this storm when Jesus is walking on water right next to you, wishing you would pick your head up and look around. It's a very, very easy trap to fall into. One I find myself in more times than I care to admit. You've got to find Jesus. Jeremiah gives us a verse that gives us hope in this. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That verse is encouraging because that means no matter what storm you're in, you can find Jesus. You've just got to look. You've just got to look. You have got to find Jesus. After Jesus calms their fear, someone speaks up and his name is Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. This story is nuts. If I'm Peter, there is no flipping way I am getting out of that boat. There's no way, y'all. Partially because I'm just a really bad swimmer. But I'm not getting out of that boat. And I I climb rock walls for fun. I'm not doing it. But for whatever reason, Paul has the gumption or the gall to decide to step out of that boat and walk towards Jesus. And here's what I love. Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 this one's only for me. No, Jesus says, come on, let's go. Let's do this thing. And I think that lets us in on a very important characteristic of Jesus. Jesus will always call us to greater things. Always. He's never going to say, no, 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 stay in the boat. It reminds me of the story when the two disciples asked Jesus, how can we be at your right hand? Now, I would expect Jesus to say, whoa, 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 don't be prideful. But that's not what he says. Jesus looks at them and he tells them exactly how. He says, be the least of these. He tells them exactly how to do great things. It's just not what they expected. It was outside of their expectations. So when Peter asked to step out and walk on water, Jesus says, come on, let's do it. But take a look at what happens next. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. In the blink of an eye, Peter goes from walking on water for crying out loud to sinking. Now, did Peter have some existential crisis and suddenly doubt if Jesus was who he was and if Jesus is even real? No, I don't think he did. The only thing Peter was guilty of was realizing the reality of the situation he was in. That's it. He looked around and said, wow, I'm walking on water in the middle of a storm. That's an impossible situation. And the moment he let reality get louder than his focus on Jesus, he began to sink. But take a look at what Jesus says. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. 
Why did you doubt? Jesus doesn't look at Peter and go, hey, come on, come on, man. All, all you got to do is just this. It's easy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go, yeah, I know this stuff's pretty crazy, right? He doesn't say anything like that. He just says, why did you doubt me? And this is important because when Jesus does this, <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, hey, it is hard. I understand that the situation you are in is overwhelming, but why'd you doubt me? I've gotten you through overwhelming odds before. And that takes me to my second point. When you're in a storm, you have got to focus on Jesus. You have got to focus on Jesus. I, I think many of us don't realize we've lost focus until we're having that existential moment of where's God? Is he even real? I haven't seen him in my life for weeks. If that's you, or if you've been there, you are sinking, but I'm willing to bet you started sinking a long time ago. All it took for Peter to sink was to take his eyes off Jesus for just a moment. There's a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, get this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I think that verse says it all. We have got to throw off what hinders us and focus on Jesus. I wanna pause here for just a moment. Nothing I've said up until this point is earth shattering news to anyone. <laughs> it's not. And that's because the solutions Jesus gives us are simple. They really are, but they're hard. They're difficult. They take perseverance. It reminds me of golf, mainly because I'm really bad at it. Golf in and of itself is pretty simple, guys. Hit the ball, get it in the hole. That's golf. But when you get into the minutia of it, when you get into actually pulling it off and doing it well, it's extremely difficult, just like rock climbing. Rock climbing is simple. Go up, don't go down, and you go down, bad things happen. That's rock climbing. But getting to the top is difficult. That's how it is with getting through a storm. It's not complicated. Let's not make it more than it needs to be. It is simple, but it's definitely not easy. And Jesus never said it was either. I want to jump to John for this last little bit because I like what the author says. John chapter six, verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Part that blows my mind is the willing part. Like, you mean to tell me that before one of the disciples raised his hand and said, nope, don't let that guy on here. I don't know if that's necessarily what happened. Here's what I think the author is getting to. I think the author is letting us know another interesting characteristic of Jesus. And that is that Jesus waits to be invited. 
Jesus doesn't force himself into situations. In fact, if you follow the story, everything up until this point has been predicated upon the disciples. Case in point, the disciples were afraid. Jesus appeases their fears. Peter steps out of the boat. Jesus helps him walk on water. The disciples invite him into the boat. He steps into the boat and he gets them to shore. As soon as they actually put aside their own ambition and their own expectations, and they allow Jesus to step into the boat, all of a sudden Jesus does what he does best. He steps in and he gets them to the other side. He gets them through the storm. It takes me to my final point, follow Jesus. Now, this is the step that takes it more from a head and a heart thing to more of a hands thing, a step thing. This one actually takes some action. We have got to follow Jesus. That is the best way to get through any storm, no matter what. That is how you will get through a storm. Doesn't matter what the storm is. Following Jesus is the way through. Remember what he said to Peter, why did you doubt? It happens. We have to be intentional about following Jesus. If you go a little bit further in John chapter 16, there's a verse that I love. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a good verse. <laughs> That's a verse you write down, put on your mirror, make it your background on your phone. You do whatever so you don't forget that verse. Here's why I love it so much. In this world, you will have trouble. That's encouraging to me. I don't know about you guys, I've got trouble. <laughs> and no one in this room is immune from trouble, is immune from storms. And Jesus knows that. He doesn't say ignore it like it's not happening. He doesn't say it's gonna be easy. All you have to do is trust me. All he says is take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Don't doubt, I've got it. I don't know what your storm is. I really don't. But I do know, regardless of what it is, the way through it. Maybe your storm is work. Maybe you've been working really, 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 really hard, and it's tough. Who knows what could be going on at work, but maybe you're just putting your head down and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're working as hard as you possibly can. And your family's being neglected because of it. And you know it, but you say, don't worry, guys. It's only for a season. But it's gone on way farther and you know that. Man, if that's you, I, I, I just want to, to implore that maybe, just maybe, you take a moment to find Jesus, spend some time focusing, and then actually figure out, man, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because maybe, maybe, just maybe, you have accidentally 
veered in to working hard and following your ambitions on accident, not trying to, just on accident. And Jesus is walking on water right next to you. Maybe that's not your storm. Maybe your storm is a little less visible. Maybe it's between your ears. Maybe it's, it's depression or anxiety or any other myriad of mental struggles. And if that's you, I'm willing to bet that your world seems completely and utterly overwhelming. And if that's you, I have some encouragement. You want to know who else is in an overwhelming situation? Peter. Doesn't matter how you cut it, him walking on water is too much for him to handle. Period. None of us could do that. Yet Jesus got him through it. Your situation, no matter how you cut it, might be genuinely overwhelming and too much, but regardless, there is a way through. And his name is Jesus. Maybe your step is to talk to that counselor. You've been too embarrassed. You, you've been too ashamed, maybe even too prideful. I don't know. But if that is you, I implore, I encourage you to take that step. Jesus will get you through the storm. It might not be what you think. might not even be what you want, but he'll get you there. Maybe not those your storm. Maybe your storm is your marriage. Maybe divorce is getting thrown around back and forth. And it seems like just maybe that might be the only way through this. If that's you, might I suggest that before you get there, you and your spouse make a commitment to on your own individually, genuinely find focus and follow Jesus. Notice I didn't say, hold your spouse accountable to do that. <laughs> I said to you, again, I'm not a marriage counselor, guys. I, I, I'm not saying anything like that. This is not a silver bullet that's going to bam, magically make everything go away. But I will tell you this. Now you've at least got some common ground to figure things out. And now you're putting Jesus in the driver's seat. And that's important. Maybe you say, Logan, that sounds great and all, but my spouse isn't even here. I'm here on my own. If that's you, first off, I'm glad you're here. Secondly, the answer is still the same. It's still the same. And that, that might be a maddeningly simple answer. I know I felt that way sometimes. I'm faced with a difficult situation. <laughs> I'll look through the Bible just wishing there was a recipe to get through this when really the recipe is to find, focus, and follow Jesus. Because I know this, guys. We serve a God who specializes in taking impossible situations and somehow making them possible. We serve a God who specializes in taking broken things and healing them. I can promise you this, you are not an exception. They don't exist. He will get you through this. It's not easy. And I might not know everything going on in your situation, but I don't need to. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that a 30-minute sermon is going to dramatically change your life. It's just not, practically speaking. I'm willing to bet that the storm you're facing is going to take a while to process, to get through. It's going to take a while for you to actually land on what is the actual next step for you to take? So here's what I want to invite everyone to do. We put together a reading plan 
It's nothing fancy. It's basically the sermon I just walked you through. It's the same story with some, excuse me, bonus questions added in there to help you go a little deeper into it. I want to invite us as a church to participate in just going through this story for the next week. It's broken into three parts and I would encourage you, man, spend some time with these sections. Spend some time praying and asking Jesus to to help you find him. Pray and ask, say, okay, take away my expectations. Help me see past my own point of view and help me actually find you. You can't arrive at that in 30 minutes. Take some time. Spend some time focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus is a skill. It's like a muscle. It takes time. You don't just magically get it. And anytime you think you've really got it, something else is going to get thrown in the mix and make it even harder. You've got to work at it. Spend some time focusing on Jesus and then spend some time actually asking yourself and God, what is that next step? Pray for the boldness to take that step. Because as soon as that first step is taken, as soon as you invite Jesus into your boat, that's when things will start happening. No matter your storm, guys, the answer is the same. Find, focus, follow. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for every single person here, for every single person listening. God, you know their storm. You know exactly what's on the front of their mind. I pray right now that you give them peace and boldness to do what they've got to do. whatever it looks like to invite you into the boat and to let you drive. God, that's something we all struggle with and you know that. So on behalf of everyone here, God, I pray that you just help us. Help us get out of our own way and help us each and every single day to choose to surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.